This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. This morning, about the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? What is his role in the Godhead? How prominent is the Holy Spirit in Scripture? Or is he just some kind of shadowy figure in the murky background of life? What does the Holy Spirit do in our lives and in the lives even of non-believers? How conscious can we be of the Holy Spirit's presence? Does he speak? Can we hear him? Can we speak to him? Can we ignore him or can we implore him? Can we resist him? Can we exist without him? Why is it that we seem to understand more easily the role of the Father God? Uh, Perhaps that's because The Lord Jesus, when he was on earth, he manifested the characteristics and the nature of the Father. He said, in fact, their natures are so intertwined. He says, I and the Father are one. Uh, Have you not said to Philip, he says, show us the Father. Have you not seen the Father? Do you not see the Father in me? And so I suppose it's easier for us then to understand the Father. What about the Son? Well, I suppose that's easy for us too because the Son came in human flesh. He became as one of us. And so we can easily readily identify with that. But what about the Holy Spirit? Unfortunately, the authorized King James is the Holy Ghost. And that term ghost conjures up all kinds of images of some kind of specter, some kind of an ethereal thing. But actually, that's not the case. So what about the Holy Spirit? Can we know him? Can he be real to us? There are many, many questions we could and we should ask about the Holy Spirit that really we would not have time to go into all of them today. But I just want to focus this morning. I want to think a little bit about his role today in our lives. What is he like? What does he do? For example, he's mentioned right at the very beginning of Genesis. Right at the very start. He's also mentioned right at the very end of Revelation. But right at the very beginning of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and this is relation to creation itself. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The authorized version says, moved upon the waters. Now, what is interesting about this word the writer uses for hovering or moved is found only twice more in the entire Bible. And in Jeremiah chapter 29, we find this 
sorry, Jeremiah 23, verse 9. The prophet said, My heart within me is broken because of the prophets. All my bones shake. I'm like a drunken man. I'm like a man whom wine has overcome because of the Lord and because of his holy words. So God's speaking to Jeremiah, and he literally shook right to his very foundations. He was shaking. And of course, way back in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32, verse 11, as an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings and taking them up and carrying them on its wings. As an eagle stirs up its nest, hovering over its young. Now, Henry Morris, in his classic book, The Genesis Record, and it is a classic, I would encourage all of you Bible studiers uh, to purchase that particular book. And he says that the word suggests a shaking, a rapid movement. Hovering is a good example, but in modern idiom, he says vibrate would even be a better word to use. And that's why sometimes some people say the Holy Spirit brooded over the face of the deep like a hen incubating her eggs. That's fair comment too. But Morris has this to say, and I'll paraphrase. He suggests that the pre-creation image of everything being without form and void and darkness is on the face of the deep, as yet there was no discernible creation, no structure. Everything was there. All the ingredients was there to build the universe, but the Holy Spirit was hovering, vibrating, moving, fluttering over, awaiting the signal to release his mighty power and energy to give life and structure to that great mass. Then he further adds this insight. Just about nearly everything in the universe is subject to waves, light waves, air waves, heat waves, sound waves, radio waves. Right now as we speak, even though we cannot see that, there are radio waves that are vibrating through the atmosphere. And if we have the aerial to pick it up, then we'll hear what is being said or sung or spoken. But that's going on continually. There's sound waves, there's radio waves, there's air waves. Do you remember whenever we had the bomb blast in Moira many years ago? Uh, you know, when a, when a bomb explodes, what does the damage is the displacement of air. It's the air waves. The waves go in great, air goes in great waves. And that's why all the way down from the police station, which is several hundred meters up there, all the way down even to this building, there was windows and doors broken in many buildings and establishments, shops and houses. Not all of them. It's just the way the air waves went. And it hit this side of the road, and it hit that side of the road, and then that side of the road, and then that side of the road. That's what was doing the damage. It was that displacement of air, those air waves uh, going out. And so here's the Holy Spirit at the precise moment of creation. All that dynamic power of the Holy Spirit vibrated, reverberated throughout the vast nothingness and emptiness of space and brought into being all the physics and all the chemistry and all the atomic power that made up this great complex universe that we have today. What awesome power is in the Holy Spirit? 
You know, every now and again, the sun erupts. It's called CMEs, coronal mass ejections. And in that split second, billions and billions of tons of energized particles are spewing out from the sun. And if it's pointed towards Earth, they come at us at an alarming rate. And of course, thankfully, God has provided a shield around this Earth that saves us from most of that radiation that would fry us and would fry our communications. But in that split second, the sun pumps out billions upon billions upon billions of, of energy and power uh, just in a split second. How much more the Holy Spirit, who with the Father and Son created all of the billions of suns, all of the billions of planets of the universe, what power is resident in the Holy Spirit? Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. The Spirit of God. Spirit here is Ruach. Ruach. And Ruach means breath. It means spirit. It means wind. Ruach. The Ruach of God. But that sounds impersonal, doesn't it? Spirit, breath, wind. But we know on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came in the upper room, he came as a mighty rushing wind. There was the Ruach of God. And we know that that's speaking about the Holy Spirit. The day the Holy Spirit descended in great power in that upper room and energized and gave life and power and purpose to those early disciples. Acts 2 and 2, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Obviously speaking about the Holy Spirit. On Acts chapter 4, in Acts chapter 4, the, the apostles were preaching about Jesus Christ and tremendous miracles were taking place which could not be denied. But the religious hierarchy didn't like it. They felt threatened by all of this. And so they brought the disciples in. This is Acts 4. They brought the disciples in and they, and they commanded them not to speak in this name. And Peter says, uh, will you judge whether it is right for us not to speak in this name? And of course they were always going to speak in this name. And uh, then when the disciples left that, they, they went into a room and they started to pray. And it says in verse uh, 24, So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, your God, you made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. And by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that all with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. 
and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Something supernatural took place when they prayed that prayer. The Holy Spirit came into that room in such power that the very building they were in started to shake. Now, we have never experienced that. I've experienced an earthquake. But I've never experienced being in a room with the Holy Spirit after we prayed, shook the building. I think that would shake us all up, wouldn't it, eh? That would scare the living daylights out of us. But what an experience that would be if you were praying in the prayer meeting and suddenly the, the whole place began to shake. In Acts 16, of course, Paul and Silas were in the Philippian jail. And the Bible says there was an earthquake. Right at midnight, at the darkest moment, at the darkest hour, when they prayed, and whenever they praised God, suddenly it was an earthquake. Is that an ordinary earthquake? Very possibly it was an earthquake area. But it happened just at the right time, at the right moment, and for the right reason. Maybe that was just the Holy Spirit taking a thimble full of his power and just shaking that place till all the prison doors flew wide open. What power is resident in the Holy Spirit? However, because we refer to the Holy Spirit's power and dynamism, in terms of wind and force and energy, we must never think that the Holy Spirit is just an influence or an energy or some kind of force. He is a person. The third person of the divine Godhead. Because we can't see him doesn't make him any less a person. He can see he can hear, he can speak, he can be vaxxed, he can be blasphemed, he can be spoken to, he can be spoken against. In John's Gospel, Jesus, speaking about the Holy Spirit, ten times uses personal pronouns. Him, he, himself, not it. And that's a mistake that even Christians make, talk about the Holy Spirit as it. He's he, him, he's personality, he's a person. Not that we have seen him or could see him, but nevertheless, he has all the attributes of personality. So he's not some kind of an ether or gas or force or influence, he's a person. And he lives spiritually in us. So the Holy Spirit was very actively and powerfully involved in the creation. But he was also very actively and powerfully involved in the new creation. We're sitting here today as born-again believers because of the action and the agency of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 3, that famous encounter with Jesus and Nicodemus. John chapter 3, verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now, when it says he was a ruler of the Jews, it's letting us know that he belonged to that elite band of the religious establishment of the day, the scribes and the Pharisees. He was in the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the elite band of the most learned of the rabbis. They were the ones that governed 
all the aspects of the law of the Scriptures. They were the ones that would know the Scriptures. They were highly academic. And in our day, these would be doctors, men of great letters. And so here's Nicodemus. He's a ruler of the Jews. He'd also be a very wealthy man in his own right also, and a man of great influence. But there was something about the Lord Jesus that captured his attention. Remember that Jesus, by and large, hated by the religious establishment. They came against him regularly. But there was something about Jesus that Nicodemus saw differently. And at this point, he's not willing to openly come to Jesus in front of all of his Sanhedrin friends, because that would have been anathema for him. That would have meant he would have been kicked out at the very least. And so he comes by night. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, now the fact that he called him Rabbi, teacher, the fact that he even called him that showed this was deference, showed that he had a regard and respect for Jesus, even though he was Jesus of Nazareth, the Galilean, the despised people. But he saw something different in him. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So at least he had enough sense to realize and to acknowledge that. But Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Jesus gets right to the very heart of the matter immediately with this man. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? So even this man was a great academic, and even though he was a scholarly rabbi, and even though he had studied the Scriptures all of his life, he still was ignorant of the most basic spiritual thing. He just couldn't see it. And Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Let's just stop there for a moment. Now Jesus speaks to him, and it's kind of cryptic what he said. And since Jesus said that, there's been all kinds of opinions exactly what does he mean. What does he mean being born of water and of the spirit? Now, the argument has been for many, that is talking about a natural birth. When the baby is in the womb, it's in a, a fluid sac. So is Jesus talking here about a natural birth and then a spiritual birth? Could be. But I think it's deeper than that. I think it was making a more, more crucial point to this man. You see, John the Baptist, just prior to this, John the Baptist was probably the most famous man in Israel. Multitudes, multitudes would go to John the Baptist to be baptized in the Jordan, to confess their sins. It was a baptism of repentance. 
John the Baptist is saying, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. The king is coming. So repent. Get prepared for the king and the king's come to, king, the king and his kingdom is coming. So be prepared for that. So repent. And an outward sign of that repentance was to, to go to the River Jordan and be baptized. But by and large, the scribes and the Pharisees were not in agreement with this because they didn't feel they needed to repent. I mean, these are, these are the top religious experts. What would they repent of? I mean, they're paying their tithes. I mean, they're fastidious and they're washing of their cups and their plates and the Sabbath keeping and all of that there. That all these rules, hundreds of rules to hedge in the Ten Commandments. What would they need to repent for? But it became very popular. Multitudes were repenting. And so they not wanting to be left out of the scene, they would go along. And in Matthew chapter 1, listen to what John says to them in Matthew chapter 1. Sorry, Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken by of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. His food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around about the Jordan went to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come into his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham even from these stones. And then he goes on, Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and is thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So when Jesus said to Nicodemus that being born of water, I think it would register with him John's baptism because it was the talk of the whole nation, a baptism of repentance. And in effect, Jesus was saying, you got to repent. you got to repent. Your status, your religiosity, all of your knowledge will not avail. You have got to repent before God. And then you got to receive the Holy Spirit. And so Nicodemus is standing there and then Jesus said this to him verse 7 do not marvel that I said to you you must be born again the wind blows where it wishes you hear the sound of it but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes so is everyone who is born of the spirit now we can't see the spirit what we can see has effects in our lives. We can't see the wind, but we can see it as a fact in the trees as it rustles the leaves. We can see it's a fact on the barley fields as you see the grain sway in the wind. We can see it's a fact in the palm trees as they waver in the wind. 
We can feel it in her hair and in her face, but we can't see it. And so Jesus is saying, the Holy Spirit, you can't see him, but you can experience him. You can feel the effects of him in your life. He will affect your life. He will change your life. And so he's telling him he needs to repent and he needs to receive the Holy Spirit. This is what will make the change. This is how we are born again of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the agency. Jesus is the one who baptizes us in the Spirit, but it's the Spirit that's the one who baptizes us into the body of Christ. Are you with me? It's the Holy Spirit who supernaturally, who mystically takes us as sinners, takes us as sinners, brings us to Christ, causes us to repent, then supernaturally baptizes us, immerses us into the mystical body of Christ. And it's done in a second. And it's a work of the Spirit. And without that happening, you are not born again. You can go to church every Sunday, you can read your Bible, you can pray, you can do whatever, but you're not born again unless you're born again of the Spirit. It is the Spirit who does the work, and it's supernatural. It's not earthly. It's God, the Holy Spirit, who changes us. <clears throat> so this Holy Spirit who baptizes us into the body of Christ, into the family of God. This is a supernatural work of the Spirit that brings us from darkness to light, from death to life, from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God. The same Holy Spirit who was so powerfully active in the creation is the same Holy Spirit who is powerfully active in the new creation. So unless and until the Holy Spirit takes us and puts us into the body of Christ, we're not born again. This is what it means to be born again of the Spirit. It's a whole new life. It's no longer the life we lived. It's a new life. We're no longer the people we used to be. We're new people in Christ. This is the fantastic work of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who reveals Christ to us. He is the one who reveals the Father to us. He is the one who gives a revelation of who God is and what he is doing in this earth. He is the one who teaches us the word of God. People can read this book all of their lives and can argue over it. It's just a history book. But the Holy Spirit makes this come alive to us. The Holy Spirit, think of all the millions and millions and millions of believers all around the world, and they're reading this book, and the Holy Spirit's taking these words, and he's making them alive to them. He's speaking to them from this word. Only the Holy Spirit can do that, and it changes lives. Listen, in John chapter 16, Jesus speaking to his disciples. Verse 12, he says, I, have still, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own, on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he'll take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father have are mine. Therefore I said he will take of mine and he will declare it to you. 
in John 14. Just back a little bit. Verse 15, if you love me, he said, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you, and he shall be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. Now, you remember Jesus in the three plus years he was with the disciples. Remember how many things he tried to tell them, even about his death? I mean, even the very hours before he went to the cross, he was busy trying to explain it to them and tell them, but they just weren't getting it. They couldn't handle it. And he says, look, I've got much more to say to you. I have many things, but you cannot bear them now. You're just not getting it. So I will leave it till the Holy Spirit comes. And he will enlighten you. He will show you things to come. He will take what is mine and he will declare it unto you. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why the Holy Spirit is so important to each and every one of us. If we're ever going to understand what Christ wants us to be and to do and to have and to see, and to, we've got to have the Holy Spirit because he is the one who will show us and enlighten us in these things. Amen? Let me draw this to a close this morning. In Revelation chapter 22, we find here the last mention of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. <clears throat> Verse 12, And behold, I am coming quickly, my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches and the written offspring of David, the bright and the morning star. Note this, and the spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. Let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. <coughs> and the spirit and the bride say, come. Right at the very end of the Bible, the Holy Spirit is giving invitation to come, to be ready to be prepared for Christ's soon return. So right from Genesis, right to Revelation, the Holy Spirit is involved in creation. He's involved in new creation. He's involved in our lives on a daily basis. He helps us. He leads us. He guides us yeah. on a daily basis. Sometimes we're not even fully aware of it. Let me close with this example. Sally and I, as you know, were just back from the Philippines. And before we left, I knew that I had big engagements to take. I knew I had seminars to do. And I was already given the subject for that, so that wasn't an issue. I knew what I was speaking on, and that was fine. But in the churches, I had no idea what I was going to be speaking on. And you can imagine, I'm sure, that after 35 years of preaching, you have a lot you can speak on. I mean, you have hundreds of sermons you could share. So what are you going to share? 
What are you going to say? So you have to pray, don't you? Lord, lead me, guide me by your Spirit. And so we're sitting one day at Claire's house, and so he says to me, I think you should speak on divine appointments. I'd just spoken about that a couple of weeks before we left. She says, that was a good sermon. I really liked that. I think you should speak on that. I says, well, I'll think about that. And I thought about it, and I prayed about it. And you know what? She was absolutely right. So you should listen to your wives now and again. <laughs> Not all the time, like, but now and again. <laughs> and uh, I says, okay, I'll do that. Now, I have a schedule in Claire's church where she goes in Baguio now. It's a big church. They have four services on Sunday. 8 o'clock, 10.30, 2 o'clock, and 5.30. Roughly, some of those times. So Claire says, the pastor wants you to speak twice to the services. And I says, no. Just one will do me. I wasn't on a preaching tour. I was there to see my family and to relax a wee bit. I really had plenty of preaching to do anyway. I says, no, I'll just preach the one. Okay, she says, I'll tell him. So, that Sunday morning, standing beside him during the worship, and the worship is like the Ukraine, Clifford, it's 100 miles an hour. Absolutely flat out from beginning to end. Even their slow worship songs start out slow and they end up 100 miles an hour. And they love it. That's their style and they absolutely love it. So I'm standing beside Pastor June and he turns around to me and he says, can I pray for you? I said, certainly. So he started to pray. And I was listening to what he was praying. And he was praying for me that God would anoint me and God would bless me. And I thank God, he says, for this divine appointment. Now, he had no idea what I was going to speak on, none whatsoever. I thank God for this divine appointment. He said to me, you're divinely appointed to be here. So I never said a, I never said a word at that point. And so I got up, I read my text, and I said, today I'm going to speak on divine appointments and look right down at him. And he stood with a big, big grin in his face from ear to ear. And his wife nearly fell out of the chair because she took the 8 o'clock service. What did she speak on? Divine appointments. Now, of course, there's four different congregations in each service, so they wouldn't know anyway. So I preached on that. And at the end of it, and it, they enjoyed the service and we had a lovely time. And at the end of it, as very often in the Philippines, they're brilliant at doing these things, they present you with something for preaching. And so he presented me with this lovely little plaque in appreciation of David Gowdy, guest speaker, in gratitude for his loving support and fulfilling God's divine appointment to this church. Now, he had that made at least a fortnight before I came. And right in big writing at the bottom is divine appointments. Now, is that the spirit or is that not the spirit? Is that just luck or happenstance? No, that's the Holy Spirit leading and guiding. Now, second thing. I told you I'd only planned to speak once. So the pastor rang Claire the day before, Saturday. He says, is your mom and dad free? I'd love to meet them at Starbucks for coffee. Because we had never actually met. We had never spoken before. We'd seen each other at a distance, but we hadn't spoken. Oh, she says, that'll be fine. So Claire and Mark, Sally and I, and Pastor June, we met at Starbucks. 
And we were yarning and we were talking about ministry and service and good things like that. And then all of a sudden he says to me, and you're speaking at the 1030 service. I says, yes, I am. And then he gave me a wee smile like that in his eye and he says, and what about the 5 p.m. service? <laughs> and I says, well, funny you should say that. Because you know what happened? After I said I wasn't going to do it, I went to bed. A couple of nights later, I went to bed. I couldn't sleep. This message kept coming. I must have preached it three times in my head. Couldn't sleep. Kept coming and coming. And I knew it was for the five o'clock service. But the trouble was I'd refused it. So I couldn't very well ring a man up and say, oh, by the way, I've changed my mind. Can I have it? So I didn't say a word. I thought, well, Lord, if you're in this, you'll make a way. And he says to me, what about the five o'clock service? I says, funny you should say that, Pastor. Oh, he says, wonderful. He says, glory to God. He says, you're on. <laughs> of course, that meant he had a day free. That was all right. That's what he's thinking, you know what I mean? <laughs> this is Saturday afternoon. He's thinking, oh, I've got to preach the morning. So that worked out tremendously. You know that people came to me afterwards in that service. At least five people came and said, that was just for me. That really was for me tonight. So that's how the Holy Spirit leads and guides. And he's in our lives every single day doing stuff like that all the time. Sometimes we're very conscious of it. Sometimes we're not even conscious. He just leads and he guides in his will and his purposes. Tonight I want to continue with part two about the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk some more about his wonderful work that he does. As believers, we should be very aware of his presence in our lives. We should know that he is in us. This is where we get the power and the purpose, and the leading, and the direction, and the guidance from, from the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal, or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk. Thank you.